I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 16. I want to look at the last verse. I was going to make it just a message for tonight, and the more I reread it and added a little bit here and thought of some more there, it's going to take at least two, which is okay. I make no apologies for teaching. But uh, I want to talk about adversity and the overcomer. I pray that you are overcomers, or I pray that you're aware that you're supposed to be. I pray that you're aware that overcomer has a specific way they approach life and do things, and an obligation is laid upon them, a mandate from God to overcome. For the Bible speaks much about overcomers. But there would be nothing to overcome if there wasn't adversity. Life would be a breeze. You'd just walk through life and take your seat, do your thing, and that's it. But as all of us in here know tonight, from the day you come into this world to the day you leave it, you face adversity. There is something difficult, troublesome, tribulation, some kind of a calamity, a distress, some kind of a problem of sorts, whether it's mental or whether it's financial or whether it's religious, spiritual, whether it's domestic in the home, life is constantly facing all of us with situations that have to be dealt with. You can either run and hide and leave it alone, let it be, let it win, or as a Christian, you can deal with it with the weapons that God gave you to deal with and overcome it and never let it defeat you, but you defeat it. The choice is yours. Now, Jesus said this in John 16 and verse 33. He said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Now, in the world, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. He said, I have overcome the world. And by that, I think he means that to overcome the world means that the world has no power to defeat you. To overcome the world means that you have put the world under your feet. That is nothing it can throw at you, nothing that it tries to defeat you with can do that because you've overcome it. You trust the Lord. You realize that God is in charge of your life. You know that. He said, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And he will not allow something greater than you are to try and overwhelm you. He's in charge so that you can win every battle you face. No matter how you engage the enemy, you're not only made to win and trained to win, but you can win. And when you do, there's nothing the world has out there. There's nothing the world can do. No situation can defeat you. You're surely going to suffer. There may be a lot of painful moments, a lot of difficulties, distresses, but nothing that it can do can defeat you, neither externally through persecutions and harassments or internally through discouragements and, and sorrow and things that we have to face on occasion. Though we have to face it, They can never defeat us if we overcome. So when he says, be of good cheer, he means cheer up. The the world's full of gloom. There's a lot of darkness out there and a lot of things that people dread. Nobody enjoys it. If you like trouble, you need deliverance. But you can't avoid it. As a Christian, you can't run from it. So be of good cheer. 
He said, you've been around me for three and a half years. I've shown you how to win. You've watched me encounter the enemy in all kinds of ways. We have a great high priest, Hebrews writes, who was tempted in all points like we are. In the days of his flesh, he faced the same devil you and I face, the same temptations you face, he faced. Because the scripture said he was tempted in all points like we are. He never made an excuse. He never backed down. He never gave up. He never needed counsel. He never had to go to somebody and say, what am I going to do? He trusted entirely in his father and gave us an example how we should live as Christians, living the way he did. And if we do what he did and we live on his terms, we'll overcome the same way he did. Bib good cheer, he said, I have overcome the world. And these things he told them at the end of John were the last teaching words that he gave us before the cross. You see, he went to the garden after this. In John 17, he went to the garden, went through all of that. And he proved himself there a perfect sacrifice. Even though in the garden, when he faced the horrific pressure that he faced there, with the great drops of blood mingled with sweat, the, uh, the back and forth in the garden, can't you pray, can't you pray? And yet when he came out of that garden, he went to the cross as a lamb led to slaughter. He never opened his mouth and cried out for anything other than one moment on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So Jesus was a perfect example for us. And he said, I've overcome the world. Now, he said, in the world, what are you going to have? In the world, you're going to have tribulation. That's a promise. You can't say in faith, in the name of Jesus, I claim I won't. You can't because you will. In fact, the Bible said in Acts 14, verse 22, we must, we as Christians, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom. So there's tribulation awaiting for all of us. This message, I want to look at adversity and overcomer by a what, a why, and a how. What is it? Uh, why does it come? And how do we deal with it? Now, these are things I would assume that all of you know, but I don't know that you do. So I'm going to go over it again. Because if we're going to be overcomers, we have to face adversity and we have to face it successfully. We are not designed and made to lose any battles we ever fight. We are not designed to be afraid of what's coming. We're not afraid to, oh, I don't know if he preaches on that, that message. We're not like that. People are like that. We're not like that. And I say we maybe for just a few. But I'll say this, that what God gives us, when that becomes your life and that becomes your thinking, when you begin to see things as God shows them to us, when you see yourself like God shows you that you are, you won't be afraid of anything because God cannot lie when he says, I am with you forever. He is. If he said nothing in life is going to be bigger than you are, I'll see to it. I'm faithful to do that. Then it's not because he's in charge. If we would just see things like that and not just hear it in a sermon and mull it over for a little while and then leave, but dwell on it. I'm destined to win. God saved me out of the darkness of my life and is transforming me so that I can be a citizen of heaven. And while I'm on this earth, to represent him as I should. 
I'm not to be defeated. I'm not to be overcome. I'm an overcomer. I'm supposed to win the battles that, that I face. I'm supposed to win in these adverse situations. When somebody says, first of all, with a what, what is adversity? Well, adversity is calamity. You know what it is. All the different ways that you have to deal with something. You think of all the things you've been afraid of in your life. Some point in your life, you'll have to face it. You can't run from something your whole life. I don't care if it's sickness, the idea of it. I don't care if it's pain and anguish or what you've got that nobody else has or your problem, nobody else has a problem. You've got to deal with it. As they say in the world, if that's the hand dealt you, that's the hand you've got to play with. You've got to deal with it because God has solutions for everything. And all the adversity that comes our way, and the dictionary calls it misfortune, poor soul. But of all the things that happen to people in this life and all the distress and the afflictions and the problems and the tribulation, you're no exception. It's going to come and you have to deal with it because that's what God has called us to do. The word tribulation in the Bible means to compress. It's like a situation that seems to want to just press you down and squeeze the very life out of you so that you quit. If the devil has a goal, a single goal, other than to kill, steal, and destroy, it's to get you to quit and not fight. He doesn't mind you wanting to fight as long as you don't know how to fight. He doesn't mind you going to church as long as you don't believe. He doesn't mind you singing again as long as you don't believe what you're singing. He doesn't mind you reading your Bible and carrying it around. and go. He doesn't mind you doing any of that as long as it does not produce faith. Because you'll we'll see at the end of this message here, the single one thing that the devil dreads most is your faith. Because it's the one single thing that God said will defeat him and cause him to flee from you in your life or your home or your family, or your children, whatever it is. So the world out there awaits us. Here it comes. It has all these attacks because the devil comes to kill and to steal and destroy. And if he can get you to grieve over money and get to the place where you just quit because of it, or the marriage didn't work out, well, I, you know, we, I'm just giving up. If God ain't going to do that, blah, 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 and, you, and you quit, anything. You name it. Or you could go through a situation with a broken down car for so long, you finally just throw in the town, give up, and quit. That's what the devil wants. And yet you can't read in the Bible where Jesus in any given situation ever quit. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He never gave up. Adversity never did stop him from doing the things that God wanted him to do. And we're warned about the world. The world is never your friend. But the world is the domain of the prince of the power of the air, and this is where you face him. From the day you're born into this world until the day you leave, you will never escape the fact that he is there seeking some way to get into your life and to keep you from being what God wants you to be, to stop you, to, to put you on your face and get you to crying out and crying and giving up and quitting, all of those kind of things, to live in anguish. So first of all, about this adversity and the overcomer, 
Why do we have adversity? Why is the world an adverse place? Well, the first simple part of that answer is because it's the domain of Satan. That's the nature of the devil to do the things that he does. Remember in Ephesians, Paul wrote, we were by nature the children of disobedience. We were naturally this way. When you were brought into this world as a child, the devil began to tempt you as a little child to get you to sin, whatever he could do. And then when you begin to sin, he taught you how to sin better, taught you how to lie, how to cheat, how to steal, how to do everything wrong. That's his nature. And when you do those things, that's the nature that's in you. The same evil nature that was in the devil is the same evil nature that is in a natural man. Jesus said to his disciples once, he said, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts into your children. You know, being evil doesn't mean you go around hurting people and doing wrong all the time, though evil people do that. But being evil means you don't do what God says. We can't accept that. That's not something that modern man today can align himself with. But it's true. Anything that is not of God, for God, or by God is evil. If they speak not according to this word, they have no light. Is darkness evil? It is. You know, we think of evil in terms of really, really bad things. But evil can be just a pleasant disobedience to God. No, I don't think I'm going to do that. Well, that's your opinion, but I don't think I'm going to do that. Just a very sweet little disposition of saying no to God. That's evil. Because it's inspired by the God of this world. The prince of the power of the air that I said a while ago. Look in John 14 and verse 30. When the devil comes... He comes because of this verse. I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and what? And has nothing in me. Now, would you agree with me tonight that whatever the devil does, Jesus doesn't do. Whatever the devil promotes, Jesus does not. And whatever God promotes, the devil does not. You say, well, the devil promotes religion. Yes, but it's always to corrupt you. So Jesus said he has nothing in me. That's the nature of the world you're in. That's the nature of the ruler of this darkness of this age. John says the world lies in wickedness. It's everywhere. And it's very hard for Christians today. Most of the time, they're not very well taught about this. It's very hard for Christians to see that, you know, you have to fight the good fight of faith. You have to endure to the very end. You can't just join church and ignore the plow. You got to put your hand to the plow. And when you do, you can't look back. It's simple, but it's not easy. Because most people just don't want to do that. The age we're in doesn't require a lot of effort. You get something for nothing today. You don't have to wait much. Well, you usually don't have to wait long for things. No money down. drive through restaurants, fast food. We're trained to give in. We're trained like that. And we're trained to complain and and, and murmur if we don't have that. Because that's the nature of the God of this world. He brings that into the church and it's so common we don't even see it. 
Churches split over this, over songbooks. I was in one once that almost split over songbooks because one song had Amazing Grace in it and the other one didn't. And some didn't want those old hymns and other ones did. That's real spiritual. But it's not the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit. He's constantly at work in the nicest of places, in the rowdiest of places, at the dark bars and casinos of this world, or in some nice church setting, just to get people to say no, no to God. That's the work of the devil, because he has nothing in Jesus. And if there's anything of Jesus in you, you can be sure that the devil hates it and is after it to try to stop it, because that's the world that you live in. And this is the way it works, and you have to deal with that. You see, when he comes, he comes to kill and to steal and destroy. He's called, the devil is called more than once in the Bible, the devil is called the destroyer. In Exodus 12, when the, the Passover, Jesus said, when I see the blood, I will not allow the destroyer to come in and, and kill your firstborn. So the devil is a destroyer. That's what he does. That's the way he works. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter who he kills. Doesn't matter how he does it. That's just the nature of the devil. It's the nature of this world. And you can see that behind wars and violence and meanness and terrorism, it's the work of the devil, always and forever. Because remember, it's either or. If that's going on and God didn't do it, then the devil did it. But whatever God is doing, the devil couldn't do it. It's either or in this world. So when you see all these things happen, you begin to realize that is just what the devil is doing. But one of the reasons we have trouble is because the, the world is a troublesome place. You can't walk through a world of darkness without engaging darkness. You can't walk through this world without having to deal with it. So you're going to deal with it. The devil goes about like a roaring lion. He looks for whom he can devour. He's good at devouring. So that's what he's trying to do. Let me tell you a second reason why we have tribulation in this world, why we have calamity and adversity in this world, is because we, by an act of our will, open the door to him. Look in Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. Very simple verse of scripture, but it tells us why we have calamity. Sometimes while calamity is the way it is in our life, it's because of something we did. He said, neither give place to the devil. Does your Bible say something like that? Yes. Then let me ask you something. Can a good Christian going to church, maybe in a weak moment, give place to the devil? Or does... This verse only apply to non-Christians. But that wouldn't make sense because non-Christians wouldn't read this. A natural man receives not the things of the Spirit. So these things are written to us. They're for us. These are things we give heed to. He said, don't give place to the devil. So that makes you a target. The devil approaches you with something to think about. Some way he can get in. What did he say to Eve? Hath God said. All he wanted her to do was start thinking about it. 
2 Corinthians 2 talks about how the devil deceived Eve by his craftiness or his subtlety. He simply appeals to human reasonings, to logic, to things natural, normal. He just appeals to it. I mean, did God say that? You're hearing it today all the time in a lot of places. Well, you know, I know the Bible says it, but that's not what it meant. Oh, I remember a guy used to tell me, well, our brother so-and-so said this, but that's not what he meant. And I used to think, why didn't brother so-and-so tell us what he meant? <laughs> People want to change what God says to suit their own theological posture. Well, God did. Well, you know, I know. Eve, God didn't mean by that you would actually die. That was just a figure of speech to warn you that uh, it's not good and, and something like that. And yet, when she ate of that fruit, she did begin to die. We're dying today because of it. Death. Death came through sin. And the human body will die one day a, a death because of that sin thing. When Jesus comes, we'll get a new body. But the point of it is, you can give place to the devil. You can hear a message that makes you cry. You can be inspired to the place where you want to go home and just pray. And you can get up tomorrow and give place to the devil if you're not careful. Again, the devil doesn't mind you having a moment. He may not like it, but he doesn't go, man, I've lost him or I've lost her. He keeps coming back because he knows in your life, I'm being familiar with you, what your weaknesses are. He knows what you give in to. He knows what you're not strong in, how you're not securing yourself spiritually some things. He knows what you give into. He knows what your weaknesses are. He knows how to tempt you, come at you. We're all equal when it comes to this, folks. The Bible calls the devil the tempter. Paul even sent one of his men to a church in Thessalonia. First Thessalonians 3, he said, When I could no longer forbear, I sent to find out about your faith. I got to know how you're standing. Lest the tempter has tempted you and my labor be for nothing in vain. Can you imagine if after all the teaching in Thessalonica that Paul did, if the devil can come in and twist and distort that and get people to, you know, well, you be your own man, be your own boss. You don't have to do that. And, and get them to think differently than God said. And they begin to go in the direction that pleases them. Paul said, everything I've done here, all the preaching, all the labor was for nothing because you're all lost. Remember he said to them in one church, he said, old foolish Galatians. He said, who in the world hindered you that you shouldn't obey the truth? Who told you that faith wasn't necessary? Remember a guy told me on the phone one night, well, I think it's all right to have, but it's not that big a deal. I said, it's everything. He said, I can't believe you said that. Told me he couldn't believe I said that. Well, I'll say it again. I told him, I said, you know what your problem is, brother? He said, well, I said, you're a liberal. Because a liberal never knows where he stands. He never knows what he stands on. Everything is momentary for the populace, whatever is the going thing. That's what we all believe. And if it's gone tomorrow, I don't believe it tomorrow. That's the work of the devil. To get you to be unsure and uncertain because faith never comes out of an atmosphere like that. 
And at the end of this message, if I can get to it, we'll talk about that. That's why it'll take at least two weeks. But when the devil comes in, you're a target. In your family, he knows how you act. In your job, he knows how you act. He knows what you do, what you think. He knows everything about you. So here he comes. He comes at you that way to try to dissuade you and turn you aside. That's why Paul wrote, as I quoted earlier, Ephesians 2. Turn over to Ephesians 2 so you can see it. We walked according to the course of this world, according to something. In times past, we walked according to the course of this world, but it was because we were given heed and being led about by what he called the spirit of this age, which in, in verse 2, he said, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in anybody that is disobedient, whether you're in here or whether you're out of here. Anybody that does not want to obey the Lord, you may not be sure, you may be wrestling with that. I'm not talking about that. You're dealing with it. But when you don't want to do it, when you don't want to do it, the reason you don't want to do it is obvious. Something in there is still controlling a way and a part of your life that shouldn't be. You can just mention certain subjects and people kind of tense up. You can mention birth control. And how many families are tense because of that, having children? And how much of a problem that may cause? There's something about the way I want it to be and the way it looks like it should be and I'm, oh, man, or woman, or whatever. Oh, something. <laughs> and I don't want to deal with this. But we do so many other things that are all right. We just allow one little thing here that's not right or something that we violate our conscience. But that's up to you. That's, that's your business. But if your conscience is geared one way and you're not living according to that, then he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is what? That's right, sin. That's all the devil wants because that in itself is a door. You give place to what? A spirit of disobedience. You want there to be a question mark there, but God puts a period there. We don't want to have to see it that way and have a conviction of that because what if? And it's man wanting to take things back into his own hands and not let God be trusted in all areas of your life. Because what if and what, I don't know how we're going to do it. See, the reason we say, I don't know what we'll do with is because you've been taught faith, you've never got it. This is as subtle as I can make it. It just makes you pleasantly power down your belief system. Well, you know, that's, that's his opinion. And it might be. What's your conscience say? Like somebody said once, if it's wrong to take a life, is it wrong to prevent a life? I don't know what chapter that's in. But maybe it doesn't have to be in a chapter. Maybe it just has to be something you deal with. Or Christmas. That's easy. Christmas is easy. Unless you got a bunch of presents last, you know, and you got more to get, whatever. People just don't want to, you know, I don't want to hear that. Even though your conscience says, well, you know, that's not right. But you don't want it to be right, so you 
you try to make it right. Listen to me. It just takes a little tiny act of your will to open a little tiny door in your life so the devil can have a way, some way, some area of your life. Deliverance means you get rid of all these things. You get him out. Everything. That's a weakness. That's a problem. That's a flaw. Anything you're engaged in, you, you should. You don't want to give it up. That's the little door. That's the little door. And you've got to either close it or grow real quiet listening to sermons. This has happened. This is the way it works. You give place to the devil. It's just a little disobedience because that's the work of the devil to get you to draw back, form your own conclusion. After all, hath God said, are you not your own boss? Is it not your life? Is it not your body? Why should he? He's never even been to seminary. How, how could he tell you what to do? Or your mother, she didn't go either. I don't guess. Nobody has to go. You could hear somebody make a political speech. And just one little sentence in the whole speech is something God is dealing with you about. And there it is again. It's a confirmation that you need to deal with this. You say, I don't... I don't want to deal with that. I, I'm going to go to another church. You take your conscience with you wherever you go. Another church doesn't change. You don't start all over. You got the same attitude, the same convictions, the same conscience. You've still got to deal with it because if you don't, a little door is open. And some area of your life is affected by the work of the devil, and we can't always identify it, especially if it's sickness or disease or if it's poverty. You can have a poverty spirit or a lying spirit or your children go this way or that way or acts of violence, nightmares, sleeplessness. A lot of things happen because of that. A second reason I could give you here is maybe the occult. Maybe you've been involved or somebody took you to some occult practice. Well, it's a fortune teller. Somebody had a fun time trying to read a crystal ball and predicting the future, or the Ouija board, or those little eight balls. Remember those little things you turn upside down? You ask a question, will I marry a beautiful woman? No. <laughs> you shake it up again, best two out of three, you know, maybe. Yeah. You know, you think, well, that's kind of getting picky. And when they say any information you seek from any source that's not God is wrong. Anything you turn to for information like that, for guidance in your life, for what decision you ought to make, any place you look other than to God is the wrong source. It opens a door. And calamity comes in. It may not be all of a sudden. You would never, ever agree that, well, because I read the, the horoscopes, this problem came. It certainly can. It certainly can. What about a suicide spirit? I'm talking about spirits. Much to say in the Bible, in the New Testament, about spirits, evil Spirits, their work, dumb spirits, deaf spirits, infirm spirits, unclean spirits, lying spirits. It's all through the scripture showing how the devil works to destroy or to occupy people. 
or to occupy their children until the fourth generation. Generational spirits are curses. The Bible is full of warnings about curses that can come if you open the door to some of these things. Let me show you one about tattoos. Leviticus 19 about not putting markings on your body. Thou shalt not make any markings or marks on your body. Verse 28. Well, I still remember that. What does it say? Thomas, are you there? Read it. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. Now the cuttings in the flesh were free. Unless you cut Susie or something when you were in war, you know. How about tattoos? Thou shalt not. A lot of people do because they didn't know any better. But that's different than somebody who doesn't want to hear that. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Could that be an open door? You say, well, how would you know it's an open door? Well, a lot of different ways the devil works. Like I said, there could be the physical things or there could be this or that. What about a spirit that comes into somebody's life that, that makes them disinterested in spiritual matters? What about when they read the Bible, they get sleep and want to fall asleep? You think that's the Lord? Why does it happen then? You, oh, that's just a natural thing. Is it natural? Or is there a cause for that? You don't have to read now chapter 29 and verse 2, Proverbs. You don't have to read that one. The curse does not come without a cause. Listen, anything that controls you, occupies you, or makes you in some way not the way God wants you to be got there because of a door that was opened either by you or your parents. I took myself to deliverance on a number of occasions when I remembered that my parents did this or my parents did that or I was subjected to this or I was subjected to that. In innocence... For sure. But the devil doesn't care if you're knowledgeable. He'll take the goofiest one in here and destroy you if he can. And the only reason some of us weren't destroyed is because we were marked out for salvation or we had parents that prayed for us. The calamity. Why is this going on? This particular problem or why can I not get ahead or why this and why can't I? And it, it, it's so frustrating. And so discouraging. How long has it been now since you prayed about that? And see, until you deal with it, chances are it won't go away. Now, the grace of God can illumine something bigger than life, and you can make a simple prayer, Father, set me free, and everything that troubles you goes. But generally, you have to know what you're talking about. You've got to deal with it. Like, how long has this thing been in here? Jesus said to a father. And he dealt specifically with a certain spirit. Otherwise, a man with all those demons in him, he said, they're in the pigs. Boom, over the hill the pigs went, and they were, he was free. He didn't have to sit down and pray for six hours about demons. He just, they all went out. But I'm talking to a church tonight of believers sitting in a room, not out in the field crazy, about the fact that you are walking and talking representatives of God on this earth. Anything that holds you back, you got to deal with it. Anything that makes you peculiar and indifferent to God in any way, you got to deal with it. 
And every time you open a door to something that you know you shouldn't, you open a door to something that's going to come in. The little porno moment. Do you think nothing happened on a porno moment? Do you think there was no spirit there inspiring that? Do you think the devil maybe was trying to get you to look and get involved so he could come in? He's a legal expert. If you give place to the devil, he knows he has a right. He knows that. He knows that he can come in and do what he does, and there's not much you can do about it. Satan can gain advantage of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. And tell me if that's still in the Bible. Lest Satan should what? Lest Satan should gain what? An advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Why are we not ignorant? Either we've read it and seen it, we've heard about it, or we've been taught. Would you agree? Now, if you don't teach me anything about this, and this kind of spooky stuff makes people feel uncomfortable, chances are you're not going to talk about it. And you're going to leave it alone, and that's the work of the devil too. To hide the truth that alone can make you free. You shall know what? The truth. Hide the truth and what happens? You stay bound. The prison doors are still shut in a lot of ways in your life. I don't mean that when God saves you, you're not saved. You can be saved. You can be saved and need deliverance. I think in the same book you're talking about and right close to where you are, if somebody comes and preaches another Jesus, which we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, what does it do? It makes life tough for you. Your Christianity is kind of a dragon thing. You're not very excited about it because there's a spirit, maybe, some kind of a work of the devil that you've been opened up to. Maybe it was in this occult thing. There's a little track out there on the occult. Everybody ought to read that. All the symptoms and the signs and how to deal with these things because it's so common. It's so common. I mean, you go to the fair and somebody wants to tell your fortune. In the old days, I don't know if I have such a thing anymore. Carnivals, they still have carnivals. Just so many things out there that, that is of the devil. So much that is distracting the distracting things in life are so much easier to process than spiritual things. You see, when it's spiritual, you have to really pay attention because there's something working against you. It, maybe it's a kid in front of you that won't be still or a noise or a fan that squeaks or, or you've had a long day and you're thinking about what's this or what. It's the devil to keep you from hearing the word because there's only one thing that God is ever going to use to make us free and make us overcomers, and that's the word. You shall know the truth. Jesus said to Mary, Mary and Martha, remember her? He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so much, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. She wants it, she's going to get it, 
and the devil's not going to be able to take it away from her. And this one thing she's got is able to make her free, and she will never have to be bound, at least in the areas that she knows. Because the power of God's word is greater than the power of this world, and he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So you can get that way. Just pay attention to the devil. Watch a movie about the occult. Let your kids watch cartoons about devils and demons and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and all these fantasies and phantasmas and all that stuff from Walt Disney World. You think God does that? You think God has little creatures flying around? Well, there's angels, yes. Do you think that's the way it works? How about lying spirits? What about a person who's given to lying? Sometimes if there is a lying spirit. People lie without, without trying. They just naturally lie. And, you know, lying opens a door. What do you say in Acts chapter 5? He said, why hast thou lied to the Holy Spirit? And you know what happened because a man lied about what he did? You know, he gave everything, but he actually kept some back. But he said, I gave it all. Peter said, why hast thou lied to the Holy Spirit? You know what happened to him? He died. You know why he died? Because he lied. You know why he lied? Because he gave heed to the devil. And what's promotion of self? Look at me. Give me in a hand. You know where that comes from? Pride of self. You know where it comes from? It comes from the devil. And look how the devil is destroying so many lives a day because everybody is trying to be something important. And God says, when you come to me, whoever you are, you come with the cross. That's why most people can never live this life. Never. They can't die to self. Self wants to live. Self wants to be seen, noticed, and heard, and admired, and catered to. And some people are so full of self that they can't give it up to God. Who do you think is holding people down like that? The devil is. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works and the children of disobedience. It's why we say no to God. It's because we, we've given place to that. Another reason you give place to the devil, because of spiritual emptiness. Turn to Ephesians 6. Talking about calamity or adversity and the overcomer. How many of you know what the word overcomer means? It means to conquer, to come off victorious or to be a victor in the realm of life, to win, to be unhindered from winning, I'd like to say, overcoming. Now, in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, that's what we need. But now, where is his strength and what is his might? See, this is how you learn. You don't just take a verse of scripture and say amen to that. If you don't know what it means, your amen is nothing. So you, as an inquiring soul, says, in what way 
are we strong in the Lord? And in what way can I define his might? Because that's where my victory is, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How can I be strong in the Lord? Again, that's where my strength is. I mean, he is all power and might, doesn't he? Jesus, is he not the omnipotent God in human flesh? Could he not have called 10,000 angels and delivered himself before they took him to their cross, to the court to crucify him? Of course he could. He was God, but he was on a mission. He was on a mission to save us. But what is his power? Well, look at verse 11. This is his power. Now, without this, nobody in here will win. Nobody. You can go to church, you can do all of that and have whatever you've got, but you'll never win the battles of life. Never. You've got to have this. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against or to withstand the wiles, the schemes, the devices, the manipulations of the devil. Because he's clever. He said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is what is in people that are wicked and bad. These spirits. Didn't he say we don't wrestle against flesh and blood? So it's not some human being, some terrorist that I'm fighting, but it's who's manipulating or who's controlling all of this. When I see that, I become able to deal with that. If I can't see that, I just think, isn't it a shame? We used to be such a great place, and now look at us. That is a shame. I look at it now and say, well, that's just the devil. That's the devil talking like that. That's the devil trying to do that. That's the work of the enemy. I can deal with that. I have no idea how to deal with anything political, and I'm not going to call somebody in March. But when you define it as something spiritual that I'm fighting against, I don't know how to deal with that. Because what I have is strong enough and great enough that that has no power over me. I don't need to sit around and garbage mouth the, the government, the president, or anybody else. That's not my problem. There are people the devil can use. My greatest problem is to keep myself clean. The devil had no place in Jesus. I don't want him to have any place in me either because if he couldn't control Jesus, he had no right to him. And if I give place to the devil, then he has a right to me in some area, some way. I don't want him to have either of those. I don't want that. But he said here, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the armor of God. Verse 13, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, when you've done all you can do, stand. Just don't quit. Oh, man, I'm getting hammered. No doubt. Church at Smyrna said, you're going to die. Don't quit. You'll be an overcomer and you'll get a crown. Just don't quit. Quit being afraid of what God wants. Just do it. Just do it as unto the Lord and let him take care of you. Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness 
and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. There is no dart the devil has that cannot be quenched with one single implement, a shield. The shield of faith. Now, these are things we have to be taught. These are things we have to learn. You cannot employ any of these things we just read if you don't know about it. You cannot just join a church, become a member in a church, and sit there and expect these things to just work for you. It doesn't work like that. Jesus said, you shall know what? The truth. And then the truth will make you free. If you don't learn anything and you remain in your ignorance, it's back to something we've said the last couple months or last month. You are blind and cannot see afar off. You don't know how to fight. You don't know what you're dealing with. While they're happening, you don't know what's happening. I mean, you go buy your child some little alcohol toy and they're so happy with that alcohol toy and they get a spirit. Because you didn't know any better. Maybe you're a good church member, but nobody ever taught you these things. You know what? I think this is a modern day tragedy. I do. That we get so caught up in religion and the whoopee-doo of it, we forget that as human beings, we have to be taught how to live on Christ's terms. We can't be a disciple if we're not. How are we going to fight the good fight of faith if we don't have these weapons of our warfare here? If you don't have the armor, how can you win? The devil's going to have a field day. You know, the one verse we didn't read, let me show you something. See if I can make this work. He said, verse 17. In verse 17, he says, and take what? The helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's part of your weaponry. That's part of your instruments of warfare. Now, put your finger there. I'm going to come right back to this and look in Luke 11. Luke 11. I have to give credit to my wife here. We were talking about this the other night. She brought this up. We were riding in the car, and I said, that's a sermon. But I'm going to make it a little sermon point. Luke 11 and verse 24. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, praise God, this unclean spirit walks through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return into my house Whence I came out from the house I was in. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that house or that man is worse than the first. What are you going to do with that? What does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? about calamity and overcoming because there's a spiritual principle here. There's something here that 
applies to us. You see, a spirit has a right to inhabit whatever he's given place to, to inhabit. If man is full of demons, a man somehow opened the door to all this kind of stuff and he no longer functions absolute normally, he's bound and hindered by the devil. Now, he comes along, let's say somebody recognizes this, somebody teaches him, and this unclean spirit is cast out. It goes out. Remember the gathering demoniac, the one about the pigs? And the Bible said when the people came and saw him, the Bible said he was in his right mind. He always had his mind, but it was under the control of something else. Now, when that something else was cast out, that spirit was out of him. He was back in control the way God made him to be in control. Now, the Bible says this unclean spirit's gone out of a man. And a spirit lives to inhabit something, to manifest himself. Blind spirits, deaf spirits, dumb spirits, foolish, goofy spirits, whatever they are. All kinds of agents of the devil to, to manipulate and, and harm people. All kinds of spirits. The spirit goes out of a man and the spirit's looking for somebody to inhabit. It doesn't find anything, so he goes back to that person that God delivered. And when he comes back, he finds out there's nobody guarding that house anymore. Oh, it's swept. It's cleaned up. Maybe it's got decorated. Got a baptismal certificate hanging over here. And got a, I went there and I said that over here. It's not dirty and unclean the way it used to be. This house is cleaned up, but there's nobody home. It's an empty thing. And the devil recognizes that. There's no activity in this house, no spiritual activity whatsoever. The devil just got cast out. A guy said, praise God. But the devil who never gives up, he comes back. He looks. He says, man, this place is clean. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And this demon goes out, and in his passel of friends, he finds seven other spirits worse than he was. We don't know how bad he was. We just know he was unclean. That's pretty bad. These spirits come back into this man. Notice, no resistance. They enter in. Nothing stopped them. Why? How could this be? All right, go back to Ephesians 6 again. Swept and garnished and put in order. One translation says the devil comes back, he finds it unoccupied. Unoccupied, swept, and garnished. And he comes back and he finds it clean, nobody's guarding the door. Now verse 17 of Ephesians 6, he said, and put on the helmet of salvation. Did your Bible say that? What is a helmet? It guards what? The head. In this sense, spiritually, it guards the mind. What is the helmet particularly about? Salvation, isn't that right? Salvation. Salvation is a very broad word in the New Testament. The word sozo from which we get salvation is a word that implies the ideas of healing, deliverance, safety, preservation, Salvation, being saved. Everything that God gives us is under a context of salvation. 
It's a part of the redemption of God. When he redeemed us, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood. When he redeemed us, I mean, he bought us back. He brought us out of a dark place into his place. He brought us to himself. And he says, I have made you mine. Now, I want you to avail yourself to what I have to offer you, church. Don't go to church empty-minded with nothing in there, and don't go out of here without anything in there because you're a target. God is not playing games with me or you or anybody else. This word is our life. We have nothing beside this. The Bible says a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 60-something, he said, It is my life. I only know how to relate to God by what the Word says. And yet, how I relate to God on the basis of the Word depends on whether or not I really believe it. And if I believe it, I will act like it's true. That's the evidence of faith, is the act. Now, if all of that is lacking... Let's say I'm content now that I've been set free. I'm content to go to church and hear wonderful sermons or good teaching. Say that. I just like to be around it. I like it. But you're not making any application of it. Do you think the devil doesn't take notice of that? And here comes the tempter. You have to read James chapter 113 to know what temptation or tempter means. But a man is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own lust. Who do you think promotes lust and self? The devil. And when he draws you away, the tempter has successfully tempted because now what once was God's is now occupied by something else. There's something else there. And here's a man who doesn't pay attention or a woman, a person. Listens half-heartedly. Doesn't get real excited about all of this. You know, I've heard that before. Like, you know, we're just here to see how many times we can hear something. If, <laughs> that is nothing. If we don't believe what we're hearing, we're wasting our time. If the word is not producing faith, you're getting robbed. But there's a reason that you are getting robbed. That's what I'm trying to say tonight. All the calamity that comes, we've got to overcome it, but we can't overcome it if we don't see it. It's right there all the time. You've got to see it. Because if I don't engage the Word of God and start processing this Word and getting this Word down in my heart, what's going to happen? The devil's going to snatch it away, isn't he? Remember the sower and the seed? The seed that was sown on the hard soil. The Bible says the man did not understand it. He didn't pay attention to it. He heard it. He might have had good illustrations in the sermon of what it meant, but he didn't pay any heed to it. And the devil snatched the word right out of his heart. He no longer has a word in his heart. He no longer has something he can find and use as a sword. He gave it up. His house is empty. There's nobody home. You knock on the door, nobody answers the door, and the, and the devil sees that. And then goes he and takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in there, and finally this guy quits. Last we heard, he was back drinking, lacking like he used to live. Well, no wonder. 
That might have been a signal call for the church to somebody go see him or start praying or something. But it's just not a big deal anymore. It's just not my problem. And yet, it is. But you see, this is what happens. When God sets you free, you've got to stay free. You've got to stay free. You can't let your mind be out of gear all the time. And if you realize that you've got an area that needs to be dealt with, maybe it's sports. You better deal with it. If it controls you. I mean, it's maybe something you need to deal with. I mean, if that's what the Lord is saying, you may not be saying it. Other, somebody else, I don't have a problem with that. It's, it doesn't apply to you. But for somebody else who knows that that is a problem, they need to deal with it. It could be an open door. And when God sets you free, I don't know how many of you have ever been through deliverance. I don't know how many of you have ever engaged in being delivered or self-deliverance, going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I recognize in my life I have allowed this, I've done this, I was exposed to this, and all these certain things I realize are by nature the work of the devil, and I've opened myself up to those things, and I recognize that the problems that I've gone through, I contribute to this open door, and in Jesus' name, I renounce all these experiences. Sometimes you name them each by name. I command these things to leave me in Jesus' name. The Lord rebuke you, devil. And I ask the Lord to set me free. And most of the time, people get free. But you've got to stay free. You've got to stay free. You can't 20 years later need to go through it again because seven times worse means it might be seven times harder. It's not an easy life to live. Again, I try to make a point that we're all targets. We got this big bullseye on the back of us. That's the next point. That's why we have these problems. One of them is because we're Christians. Just being obedient makes us a target. Listen to what John said in John chapter 15 and, and verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but because I have chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Who wants to be hated? We don't have to try to be hated. Just live what you've been taught. You'll have to take a stand. You'll have to disagree with somebody. You'll maybe have to correct somebody. Listen to this. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will also keep yours. And don't forget, Paul said, every man who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You cannot live on his terms without being persecuted and put down for it. Amen. Bow your head. Father, in Jesus' name, give us wisdom, O Lord. I pray you give us wisdom. And not only wisdom, Lord, but to everybody in here, courage. 
to defeat fear at every turn, to overcome every defined weakness in our life, to have a heart for Jesus, to want to live to please him and to serve him, and to not give up and quit because of fear. Lord, there's so many little things that rob us, little foxes that spoil our vines. I just pray you would open our eyes that we might be overcomers and overcome all these things and see the death of fear and the right and the stronghold of calamity to fall apart in front of us and find ourselves being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might in these last days. Lord, I ask you to do that for the folks here. These are your people. They are indeed the sheep of your pasture. You brought them here, I didn't. Each one is a treasure to you. Each one has meaning and purpose to you. Even the weakest and the least of us. You brought us here because you love us. And because you love us, you'll keep us. Give us a heart to stand with you and agree with what you've said in your word so that at the end of this life, you will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.